America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism only on America's webradio.com. A historic day for me personally, David. 40 years old. Do I do I get a happy birthday? Thank you for all the uh, yeah. you know the, all, all the, the gifts stuff. and all the carnival stuff we have. As, as you can probably hear, listeners, it's a it's a raucous party going on here at uh, the AMW studio in Sandy Springs. Thank you for the uh, well, dancing. I, I, the uh, dancing girls are especially appreciated, David. <laughs> the lap dances are free. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have intended honestly the invisible to go woman by and, and get you a well the blow up woman. Um, <laughs> I had intended on going by and getting you a cupcake and. My last thing before I left for lunch uh, ran longer than I had anticipated, and, you know, things things happen. That's what you get for having a birthday in the middle of the week. Well, you, you know, Monday or if you'd had it on Saturday or Sunday. You might have had a little bit more time. But see, if I, if I had had my birthday then, then I wouldn't be doing the birthday version of my show. That's because right. even though you only turn 40 once, freedom does not rest even on a birthday that's and that's what true. and that's what we're here for that's what we're here to promote america's web radio.com you are listening to greg's list and david i know you're as excited as i am for our guest today Absolutely. we have chris peronto one of the co-authors of 13 hours in benghazi one of the heroic survivors and uh, just a, an all-around great American. And on Greg's list, we, we have real heroes, not just men that put on dresses and get called heroes by the liberals. We actually have people that have fought, seen some of their uh, compatriots give their lives up for this country. That's real heroism, don't you think, David? Uh, and, and we look at last week. We had this, um, the, you know, unfortunately, these four Marines and a naval uh, service member were shot by a guy with three Muslim names. I can't. I don't. I'm not going to even repeat his name and give him any credit for this heinous act. But you're seeing your White House ignore this completely. They finally came out today at noon that they're that your president has. Uh, Signed an executive order or whatever to lower all flags to half staff. Okay, well. That came out today. Why did it take, you know, a week to do this? It's just uh, deplorable. When when uh, Diana Houston died, it was immediate. I mean, he can come up immediately for anything else that's uh, Muslim-related and okay or black and racist. Oh, yeah. Happy Ramadan, but, by yeah. the way. Uh, <laughs> He can't do it for five of our soldiers. So, nope. I, you know, I have... I think the problem with them, David, is they, they do not want to admit that uh, terrorist attacks occur on their watch. I think that's the biggest problem. Everything, they want to call it workplace violence. Uh, it was uh, lone wolf. Um, it was some other thing, but not Islamic jihadist terrorism. Well, you know, I and, can't even buy that because if you're going to lower the flag to half staff, you can do that. He's still not calling it anything, you know. But you can, out of respect, you can lower the flag. And uh, we had five service members die, and, uh, you know, that should be the end of the story. Um, This guy is not worthy to be in our White House by any stretch of the imagination. You know, back to our guest, or our guest, your guest, I'm sorry. He's our guest. I expect you to, I mean, you're a, you're a veteran of the, the U.S. Army Civil as well. War. Civil yeah, War. Yeah, Civil War. Yeah, were you um, Confederacy or Union? <laughs> anyway. Uh, the Republic of Texas. That, yes. that That's who you would be claiming, right? The Alamo. I was the one that crawled out from the Alamo. Uh, but, you know, not only was he in the military, but it takes a certain kind of person to 
be a contractor in Afghanistan or or uh, any place, uh, and we've got them all over the world now because we don't have boots on the ground every place. So, the very sneakily, the United States has started using contractors to do their work, and I might put in quotes uh, some of their dirty work as well that goes right. on. So it, it takes a certain kind of person to be able to uh, do what he did, and then with the uh, the other two, I, I actually think there may have been three others besides uh, besides Chris. I, I, but I know two of them have been appearing on, on television, they've been on Fox News and so forth. But it takes a, a certain kind of guy to say, you know, I'm going to belly up to the bar, and I'm going to charge. I'm not retreating, and come what may. And that's what he did and what is... And they uh, saved dozens of yeah. lives. Oh, yeah. So and, uh, the fact that incredible. they ran to the fight, and I believe a couple of them might not have exactly followed orders to yeah, disengage. A, a community organizer would run towards the fight or run as fast as he could away from the fight. Uh, we're, we, we know that this thing, I, and this will be what I'm interested in talking to Chris about, is what he was thinking this the month after when they uh, deploy, when I say they, the Obama administration deploys uh, Susan Rice on all these Sunday shows, and they blame it on this obscure video about Muslims that was produced by somebody out in California and they said, oh yes, it was this organized uh, display of anger because of this 10 minute video that I, I, I guess I'm just surprised that people in Libya would be wasting their time watching 10 minute YouTube videos. I, it's just it, it boggles the mind. Normally it takes the Muslims at least six months. They, they hear somebody burned a Quran six months ago and then they want to have all these rallies and, and protests and demonstrations. It, it, the fact is, the information doesn't exactly travel at light speed in, in this part of the world. So the fact the, the, they tried to push this this idea that some video, some movie, some offhand uh, production. I didn't even watch. I saw bits and pieces of it. It's just, it was like a uh, a low rated or a low rent cartoon. I mean, it yeah. really wasn't anything. You wonder where they came up, even came <laughs> up with this. How did they the find? Yeah, it's almost like they said, "Hey, we have a couple fifth graders that are looking to do a little project. Can y'all throw this thing together real quick? And we're going to create a big smoke screen for the duplicitous activities that we're engaged in in Benghazi." Because we're now seeing that it looks, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it looks like they were doing something nefarious there, running guns from Benghazi and trying to arm the, uh, I guess, the Syrian moderates. Yeah. <laughs> Is that, I mean, who, who knows? It's, it's a, it's a dirt, it was a dirty deal. They're trying to cover it up. It was happened right when Obama was running for re-election and they were proclaiming that the world was safer than it ever has been before. That Hillary Clinton's done a bang-up job as Secretary of State, and all is good. What, where is Gowdy right now? In his, Trey Gowdy? Yeah, right. in his investigation. I don't know. So I saw something briefly on Fox this morning that said that uh, after four years, the, there's a FOIA request for Hillary Clinton's information, and they're finally getting some of that. I, I mean, she just has been reticent to turn over any documents that have been requested in four years. Is that sort of like wait? somebody's birth certificate and somebody's <laughs> uh, grades and somebody's college experiences? College transcripts, uh, uh, yeah. I wonder who she's following whose footsteps. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this whole thing is, is sick, Greg, and I. the more 
Well, uh, one last word on the Chattanooga thing. Mm. Folks, you better realize that this is just the start. This did not end in Chattanooga. This is just the start. And anybody that doesn't think it was terrorism, I don't care what the Talhead's parents are saying about he was depressed and yet I don't care anything about that. He was still influenced by terrorists. They've proven now that he was watching one of the shish kebabs that uh, did the YouTube videos to uh, get him there. So there's more to come. Well, one of the things that I've been heartened by, though, David, have you seen where we kind of have a a Minuteman group coming around to lots of different places? Hiram, Georgia, there were three or four uh, just regular civilians that were standing guard using their, their right to open carry. They were guarding the uh, recruitment center in Hiram. I've seen other uh, footage of, of them all over the country, really, where we're getting private sector folks. Because, David, you've, you've told me in the past that you uh, you would be hesitant to arm people on some of these bases. Uh, yeah. Does this change your mind at all? No. Okay. And uh, let me tell you why. I'm for increase increasing the number of people that carry on military bases – or anywhere for that matter. However, uh, it's like everything else. They have to be vetted. They have to have, be able to prove themselves before you just give them give them a weapon and everybody's walking around with a nine millimeter on their head. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't work on a military base. Okay. Uh, they're just uh, you know, <laughs> in spite of what people say, there's still fights on military bases. There's still it's a it's a community, you know, and a large community at that. And not everybody that belongs to that community is sweet and loving and and uh, kumbaya. Yeah. Okay. So no, I don't think everybody should be armed, but I think more people should be armed. I mean, do you think should, they should have more guards that are armed, well, or I, I just think, more people should be able to apply? For, no, I, th- I think uh, if you're willing to apply to carry, then that's the first step. You go into something, uh, be it the MPs or whatever different uh, APs for the Air Force or whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, Naval, so forth and so on. You go in and you say... I'm, I am here to apply to carry on base. Then they check you out. They check out your credentials. They check out, you know, mental style, everything. They check you out up one side and down the other. Because in spite of what people say, uh, there's a difference in carrying in, in country and on a base. Mm-hmm. At the same token, we never hear about it, probably just as well. But even in country, you have people with weapons that um, they get listed as friendly fire somewhere down the road. But, right. Uh, you know, there's st- a weapon is a weapon, and it, and it's meant to do one thing, and it's meant to kill. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to hurt somebody and say, "Oops, I'm sorry." It's it's a a weapon is a weapon. But with that being said, yes, I think they should increase the number. Uh, somebody made a good point. I think if you're going to a situation where you're going to have three or more military folks there, at least one of them should have a weapon. Uh, probably, and, and I, I may know the story and not even know the story, but do you realize one person that was killed was carrying in Chattanooga and may have been the one that saved several other lives? I didn't know uh, that. Now, did, this I, just I, came out. It I haven't just, heard anything. Did the shooter 
was it self inflicted? No, he, no. He, okay, he so was he, he was shot by the police. Okay. But there was a person in the in the uh, armory, the whatever the whatever the navy, navy calls them, um, that was carrying, and he may have been the one that uh, prevented more from being killed. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, because these gun-free zones, David, yeah. these gun-free yes. zones, these schools and army bases, and basically everywhere there is some kind of mass shooting, it's always at a gun-free zone. And yeah. and you even saw the picture of the, the uh, recruitment center in Chattanooga. It says no firearms here, and it's covered with bullet holes. So I, 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 I think the liberals really need to take a look uh, and realize that disarming people then only the criminals are going to have weapons. It's a completely different story talking about arming people at bases. And I've seen some people on the right with somewhat of a knee-jerk reaction where they're saying, oh, we need to have them all armed. The only people I would actually trust to carry weapons are, you know, uh, our servicemen. But anyway, folks, we're going to take our break here. We're going to be back with Chris Peronto, the uh, Army Ranger and the author of 13 Hours about the Benghazi uh, heroic efforts, and we'll talk a little bit about the cover-up. See you in a couple minutes on Greg's List. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. We can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy. Only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 
And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on America's Web Radio.com. And uh, a special guest today who's called in. I believe uh, he's actually calling in from Nebraska, but uh, been all over the world. He's a former Army U.S. or U.S. Army Ranger, which I guess you probably never actually leave the U.S. Army Rangers as a fraternity. Saying that he was the Second Battalion, 75th Regiment. He's been a private military security contractor. He's one of the heroes of the Benghazi. Libyan attack back on September 11th, 2012, and uh, he's uh, co-authored a book called 13 Hours in Benghazi. It's actually been made into a major motion picture, which is coming out, I believe, in January, and uh, just of all the listeners and everybody can give a warm welcome to Chris Tanto Peranto, and uh, Chris, thank you so much, first of all, for your service, your heroism, and uh, and for the chance to, to chat with you today on Greg's List. I, I appreciate it, Greg, Greg, and I, I believe it's your, is it your birthday today? Happy, I want to say happy birthday. Well, I uh, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. You only turned 43 <laughs> times, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, I, everybody, everybody's probably wishing. I, I appreciate you having me on. And, I, and, and uh, yeah, I, I, uh, heroism, I, I don't like to hear that. I just We just did what we were supposed to do, but I do appreciate the compliment. And, yeah, things are things are moving, still moving along. I think... Uh, I think uh, we'll still probably myself, Mark guys, the the other one of my buddies that was there, and John Tig Hygen. That you probably, if you've watched Fox, you've seen it on Fox a few times. Um, things are just going to start getting busier uh, once the movie promotion starts, which should be starting here fairly in the next few weeks, I would think. Yeah, and it's it uh, got the, imp- the grind again. impressive director Michael Bay of uh, yeah. of Transformers fame, and also he did the uh, well, the, the Will Smith Martin Lawrence movies. I can't remember what those were called, but he did oh the bad the bad boy movies. Bad yeah, boys. he was he, he <laughs> and the and the, the Rock and all the Transformers and, and and Armageddon and all that other. And he he works his tail off. We were on set for a you know all of us were on set over time for about a month and. Uh, and I tell you what, he, he does work very hard, and, and that's something that impresses me, whether political standing or not, which I don't know what his is, actually. But, it, it, you know, it doesn't make a difference to me. He, he really puts his heart and soul into it, which means a lot. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. David, uh, yeah. Yeah. Chris, as a ranger, uh, you got to spend some time in uh, North Georgia, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Well, I, well back starting back in the day, my most memorable experience in North Georgia was Ranger School <laughs> there at Dahlonega. That was that was not the fun time in North Georgia. But yeah, <laughs> then also speaking in North Georgia and then also uh, you know, meeting and getting to know uh Congressman Barr up there and and, uh, and um and just, you know, multiple speaking events there in Atlanta as well. But but you know, up 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 north for an uh, Sheriff David Waters I did a helped him and, and did a, a little fundraiser for him and he's a tremendous individual i really really appreciate him and like i said you guys have some remarkable elected officials at the state level and they, they are all are good people and I, I always love getting back to georgia me being from a ranger you know i down in columbus that's basically a second home and yeah, fort benning like i said ranger school up there in dahlonega or i just georgia's a georgia's a second home to me i really like it yeah, well, you, you like climbing those mountains in uh, Dahlonega. Uh, huh? Yeah, the high, the highest peaks on Earth up in uh, the, the yeah, northern hills. Was right? it Mount Yona or something like that? <laughs> I, it would have been a lot nicer if it wasn't under those conditions. It was beautiful, so <laughs> my stomach started growling, and it, I was in the winter time. I was up there in the winter time, and my fingers hurt. Everything was cold, and and I was hungry, and 
but that's you know that's the nature of the game when you when you're going through it. Ranger school, that's what it's supposed to be tough. So, uh, oh, yeah. but yeah, was, I remember it was beautiful though. I do remember sitting up there on Yona going, "Gosh, this is beautiful. I wish I was here for <laughs> fun." <different> condition. <laughs> my uh, my son and I both have run the. Uh, the Mother's Day uh, Delonica thing, or, or oh. at, at uh, oh yeah, place up there. yeah. How, yeah. How did you do? I mean, that's I, we we had a, we were taking rucksacks up that thing, forced marching up there, just to see who could make it. But gosh, <laughs> that's a, this game is just gorgeous, and especially if you go there up in the springtime and then late fall. Um, yeah. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Tur- it's turned I, into quite. I, I, I hope I can get back there. It's turned into wine country now. Um, I'm not Are you sure. kidding me? No, I. Uh, You're in wine country. Yeah, that day, yeah they. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing, but they've got a lot of vineyards up there. They've got a lot of wineries, and uh, you can actually wow. take tours. You can take a limo from uh, here and go up there and go on wine tasting events. So it would be it'd be interesting to see if the Army Rangers had to bust in on a, <laughs> on a vineyard. <laughs> You better hope they don't find one of those vineyards during one of their offs, one of their one of their patrols. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of speaking of patrols, uh, you know, obviously you've uh, been promoting this book and this movie coming out, Thirteen yep. Hours in Benghazi, and uh, just uh, I, I know you've relived this story over and over again, but uh, I guess the the compelling thing is y'all didn't exactly listen to, to orders. Y'all went in and, and saved lives because it w- it was y'all's duty to do so, and you were uh, you were being you were a civilian contractor at that point. You weren't active duty, correct? Yeah. That- that, that's correct. We were contractors, and we were working actually. Though, and it, it, it had morphed from from where your uh, from where it started as a uh, contracting for a subcontractor for a Blackwater or a Triple Canopy or so forth, to where the government was actually hiring us directly. Hmm. So we were contractors, but we were contracted directly to the CIA. We didn't work through a, a mediary or. A, or a secondary company. Okay. So um, we, we, we basically would go into Langley and, and get our orders and fly out and come back and go back to Langley, drop off for whatever we needed to and go home. So um, at that time, all of us were uh, out of the military and we all were contracted directly to the CIA. Okay. Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a whole lot more of that going on than ever meets the newspaper. Is that correct? Yes. That's that's very much correct, um, uh, and honestly, uh, you know, a lot of the guys like myself, or I, I, I was medically discharged. I I had Crohn's disease, and I hid it for eight years, and then Big Army found out when I had a when I had a, a little episode out in the field, a little flare up, and they said, "What?" They, they said, "You're thank you for your service, but you can no longer you can no longer be at a range of battalion or special forces. <laughs> You're going to have to either get out or go to be a finance officer." And, and I and I got out and decided to start contract. It gave us and a lot of the guys that are contracting solid individuals. They do it because the military either medically discharges them or they or there's a there's a downsizing and they have to get out and they still want to serve their country. It, it, you, you'd be surprised that yes, there are a lot of capable, very capable operators out there that are contractors and they're they're pushed out by the military because of downsizing or because of some rule that. If you have, I guess if you have a certain certain ailment uh, with you that you can't you can't do the job, which obviously I proved that was wrong because I contracted for another seven years with Crohn's disease. Now you, so, um, how yeah, long? You, but you are right. Yes, you are right. How long had you been in uh, Benghazi for this uh, this I guess assignment uh, or this Benghazi? Mission? That was my first rotation in Benghazi. Okay. I was so I'd been there for over two months for about seventy days. Okay, 
my rotation before that was in Tripoli. So total, I've been in, in Libya for approximately four or five, a little close to five months. Okay, now, But now, it had been split between Benghazi and Tripoli. Now, supposedly, there was growing, uh, uh, I guess, uh, angst in Libya. Uh, the uh, Our ambassador, Mr. Uh, Warren, uh, had sent back... Um, Lots of uh, emails detailing that they they thought the situation was getting out of hand. There is that something that you yeah. noticed? Well, it, it had not only been for, and, and people come up to the higher level to say the, the you know between the State Department and you, when they say that it's the Hillary's emails and the ambassador and Greg Hicks. It had been coming up from the lower levels from the State Department agents, which were doing a great job there in, in Benghazi. Getting the requesting, you know, Scott Scott Wicklin, Alec Anderson, Dave Ubin, the State Department's diplomatic security agents were requesting and letting their chain of command know this: there's a problem here. We need more. We need more people. We need more guns. We're getting we had two IEDs blow the sides of our walls up on the compound. We need a little bit more assistance, and it was getting rebuffed. But the media, of course, because there's an agenda and it pulls that agenda, they want to get it political, which. There are some political, of course, there's political ramifications here. They forget that it had been coming up, or they need to put out more. It had been coming up the request for more security and that the conflict Benghazi was understaffed for six, seven months prior by just by the lower level, by the Department of State secure, diplomatic security officers and the regional security officer, Eric Nordstrom. So it's a lot bigger than just these missing emails, and, and it's just Hillary didn't do what she needed to do. The requests have been going up. For basically, from six seven months, for I'm sorry, from the State Department security agents saying that there's problems here, we need help, and, and we, what, we can't defend what, what, the compound. What, what were y'all's conversations amongst each other? Were y'all all concerned and saying, "Hey, this this thing could well, get"? Let me interrupt. Okay. A second. Were you there for this for security, or were you there on a, on a different mission? We we were we were with the CIA, so we didn't have we weren't on the diplomatic compound. We weren't on the conflict, but did we have this? Oh yeah, I had a good discussion with Scott Wickland. We did a risk assessment of his site, and actually, this is even in the book. Um, this was written. You know, we we thought it was important enough to put this in the book. I I remember going to Scott thirty days prior to the attack and saying, Scott, you know, if you guys get attacked, you're going to die. And I said it just like that, and and. I remember seeing his. I just. I still remember seeing his eyes and and how I, I probably was too blunt. And I remember you know stepping, taking a step back mm. emotionally and saying, "Hey, if you ever need us, we'll come get you. Just give us a call." And that was right there. That was our saying to them: No matter what you needed, if you guys need our help, we will come assist. And that was where. Yeah, I, I think that's where that little brotherhood was. Where we always had some bond with them, but that was. Are saying to them, "We're here for you guys. We know you're understaffed. We know you're you're not being protected by your own people. We're here. We're Americans, and we want to make sure you guys get out alive." And it was a it was it's just a friendship, the security officer to security officer. Now, Ty- so, um, Tyrone, it's a big deal, and that's why it bothered me a lot that we were delayed, and mm-hmm. and, and because we had given them given them our word that we would get over there as soon as they as soon as they needed us, and obviously we didn't get over for almost fifty minutes. 
Five well, zero. And that was uh, U.S. Ambassador J. Christopher Stevens. I, I misspoke when I called him Mr. Warren. I don't know why that uh, came up. But uh, Tyrone Woods and Glenn Doherty were also CIA contractors that were killed yep. during this. Those guys were serving with, with you. You were probably having these conversations. That's, that's, with, that's with the, correct. Oh. They were both. Uh, Tyrone was SEAL Team, uh, Dev Group, SEAL Team 6, former. And, and Bob... I and forgive me. I'm sorry if his family's living out uh, listening or guys. I can't remember which team he was. I want to say he was on the West Coast, West Coast SEAL team, but he was a former SEAL as well. And yeah, they were CI, CI Global Response Staff officers like myself. We were all on the same team. Hey, and when when you guys see that uh, the, the the consulate's getting attacked, oh God, let's go ahead and take our break here, Chris. Let's uh, if you can hold on a couple minutes. I don't want to ask you this uh, detailed question okay. and have to cut you off mid. So we're going to take our two thirty break here and uh, be back with Chris Peranto talking about the book Thirteen Hours in Benghazi. The movie will be coming out next year as well, and just. Uh, just a great opportunity to hear directly from somebody who was there showing heroism in Benghazi. We'll be back in a couple minutes on Greg's List. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. From Doug Dahlgren, an action series that grabs you and won't let go. Four members of Congress all die within months. Each death appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary war heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search uncovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun, Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, in Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism only on America's Web. Radio.com have a uh, just outstanding program today. We're talking to Chris Peranto, one of the co-authors of 13 Hours in Benghazi. There's a, uh, a movie directed by Michael Bay that's coming out in a few months. And uh, just uh, to be able to get the, the real testimony of somebody that was actually there, somebody that, that showed the heroic effort to uh, defend fellow Americans and, and rescue dozens of people in this. And uh, just, uh, Chris, once again, thanks for, for calling in. I guess uh, I was leaving off the uh, the question or, or saying how um, what kind of discussions y'all were having about uh, the situation on the ground. And oh, all right. Had a well, we've lost him temporarily. 
All right. Well, I'm sure he'll be calling back. He was able to survive Benghazi. I'm sure he can solve a, <laughs> survive a, a dropped call or two. But uh, anyway, the book is called 13 Hours in Benghazi, and uh, it's been out for a while. Chris has been uh, in several public speaking engagements promoting the book, promoting the, the real truth about what happened that night, because it's still, uh, it, it's still very foggy. In the cloud of war, people have difficulty understanding exactly what happened. And it seems like... The, Chris, you you on and can you hear us both okay? Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm back, guys. I'm sorry about that. I it, it, I'm in Nebraska. Sometimes I'll drop calls every once in a while. That's, that's yeah, what you get when you're in the flyover. So some, minutes, some of that corn. I was about to say the, cor- the, the too many corn husks going on out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I told I told David I told David I said well he survived Benghazi and then helped rescue dozens of people I'm sure he can survive a little corn over there but uh. <laughs> I, I, I won't ever leave this place this, this, the corn keeps the riffraff out so we're, we're good I'm staying here I'm not going anywhere <laughs> well okay so we're, let's get back to the uh, so y'all had been talking amongst yourselves saying this is a this is a dangerous yeah. situation when the attack happened it said y'all took about less than an hour to respond I would say that's pretty good response time but uh, well you-, you know we, we were ready to respond within five minutes um, we were told you know the words the word stand down were, was used by our by our leadership our CI leadership there uh, in Libya. Um, we were also told to wait uh, twice, but you know, that got into semantics with the politicians. Where they, well, I remember the big stand down. There was no stand down. There was a well. The word stand down was used. Word used once, and the wait to me, a wait is the same thing as a stand down. We're still being delayed. So uh, it went from being ready to get over there within five minutes to uh, by the time we actually had to fight our way on foot over there because we delayed so long, we couldn't drive our cars all the way there. Mm. Um, it took us, yeah, close to an hour. And by that time, the, when we got on the compound, the, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was on complete, it was fire, complete burning flames, you know, flames licking up in the sky. And, and, uh, and, and the ambassador and Sean Smith by that time had already died of smoke inhalation. Chris, let me ask, as you were saying, no stand down, but they were delaying you. How in your gut, and you've got to have talked to, to the rest of the folks yeah. there. You know, it's one thing, uh, being in the military, to take an order from somebody that's been there, done that. It's a yeah. whole nother thing for to take an order from someone that hasn't been there, has yeah. no clue yeah. about a bullet going by their head, has no clue about what it takes to fight your way in or fight your way out. How do you feel as a soldier, as a contractor, as someone... W- that's been trained and has done it to be taking orders from someone that has no clue. Well, and and literally, I, I had and Mike Morell and and our chief of base Bob and and the chief of base, and the chief of state. There's no love lost between us. Um, but as a as a military person, especially as a ranger or seal, somebody in the SOCOM community, you do have that chain of command, and it made so you can maintain some sort of a, a order within the base. Um, so initially, you know, you're doing what you're told. You know that it's not right, but you have to at least initially. And, and maybe and you're giving them the benefit of the doubt. You're saying, hey, maybe they know something that we don't. Maybe there's something else going on. But, be, of course, because the leadership there is not tested as far as combat goes or not even tested as far as being in, in sort of uh, severe, and they can say they're crisis situations all they want, but as far as combat crisis situations, um, 
you know, they, they don't know how to react, and they're locking up. Um, I regret that we didn't disobey orders sooner. I still would give them those first five minutes um, to say, okay, but I, I regret that we didn't just, hey, we're the subject matter experts here, and we need to go. Now, that shows a lot for the CIA leadership, too. Uh, the leadership you have on the ground, piss-poor leaders, because they don't know what assets they have available to us, and they don't allow their subject matter experts, their experts in what's going on at the moment, uh, to handle the situation. And then, again, of course, they try to cover it up. Um, and that makes me mad. I, yeah. I'm more upset with the agency than I am with the State Department uh, at this point because they've been kind of given a pass. I thought and, the agent. They, they really failed. They really I thought failed. The, I thought the and, I thought the agency was pissed off because the State Department was uh, at odds with them, and the CIA. You know, typically they don't want to ever <laughs> take the blame for something, especially if they they can. I know. So so, but you're you're. It's, that's an interesting perspective because I, I I guess I've been following it from uh, just the TV news and haven't gotten too yeah, much in the weeds. And that's where you, I, I'm upset. Uh, I, no, and don't get me wrong. The, the State Department failed miserably as well. <laughs> they did not. They had access to to get us military support on a bigger picture, on a grander scale. Mm-hmm. And then also now they're now they're hiding it as far as what was yeah. going on there, and, and the emails and all that. That's it, they're they're hiding a lot of information. Um, uh, but as far as the agency goes, and Mike Morrell, Mike Morrell continually has called us liars, especially in during his speaking events. Um, and a little, we figure out he's. he's He's, he's attributed to the attacks being non-existent. There was no stand-down order, um, or, uh, and that also that that the things that we did there, his analysts didn't see that, so it didn't happen. Now, Chris, and, by the time you well, were able to fight your way to the scene, yeah. you you could make an assessment and say this was not some spontaneous event. There was enough yeah. fire. I mean, that's to us on the on the ground or the in the media here. Yeah. When we hear that, we're like, this can't possibly be. So, what what was your first impression? You get there and you're thinking, okay, this was carefully coordinated. It coordinated with nine yeah. eleven. Um, tell us about that. Well, you we being again military, being a military person, person and. and uh, and having sur- experience in surveillance and reconnaissance, they were doing surveillance that morning before. Uh, so, so they we knew that they were going to go ahead and 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 well, I should say we knew there were ideas that they were going to attack. Whether it was that day or not, we didn't know. But the surveillance and they were doing the reconnaissance on the base and the prior attacks led us to believe that that base again was undermanned and and it was susceptible to attack. Um, when the attack happened. At 9:32, when the attack happened, and we walked out the door, you could tell it was a it was a very um, pl- well planned attack, and it was an attack to kill or capture somebody, and not just a protest, just by the sounds of the gunfire, by the tracers that you can see popping up in the air. We're only three quarters of a mile away, and and so when we got, I mean, initially we knew that there was an attack going on, and it was to. We thought it was probably to kill the ambassador because he was an easy target there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it, the, the proof kept showing up as more, the closer we got to the compound. And then once we got on the compound and we started to fight off, <laughs> fight off people that were trying to keep us from the compound. And they're using large weapons, PKM, uh, which is a machine gun like a, a comparable to a 240 Bravo or an M60, AK-47s and RPGs. That's a it was a pretty good armament to uh, for a small for a light infantry unit. So um, yeah, we, we knew that it wasn't a protest. And I've been through protests before as mm-hmm. well, and I've never come across anything like that mm-hmm. in Iraq or Afghanistan where I've been caught in protest. 
ever. So I have something to compare it to, hence being a subject matter expert in the security field. I, I know what I'm talking about. Right. And, and politicians can't dispute that. They can try, but it's, it's not going to happen. Because they haven't been through that like I have. So uh, the initial, the the firefight, how long were y'all, what, you, you, it probably took you what, sure. an hour to get there, and then how long were you still fighting off uh, the insurgents, I guess? Would be you, you know, at the consulate, we, we eventually got there uh, close to um, 1045-ish, 11 o'clock. We actually had to fight our way on, and we did have some 40-millimeter grenades that, that TIG was using, to take out a couple of the blocking positions they were shooting at us with PKNs and RPGs. So we we're very lucky. We, at least we had something of a pretty good size that we could disperse. And when those things hit, if you've never heard them before, they're going to, even if they, even if they don't, the shrapnel doesn't get you, just the sound of those things is going to scare the heck out of you and get you out of there unless you're a seasoned, seasoned fighter. Um, we got there, and then we were counterattacked again, so at, uh, roughly around uh, close to midnight. So we'd been on the console for about an hour and we were getting shot at with RPGs. What was the problem there is it was so wide open, and there was only six of us, and it was such mass chaos that this group, 17th February Martyrs Brigade, that was supposed to be protecting the compound, which they have since been tied to Ansar Sharia, um, uh, they, uh, once we pushed them off, they started to come back, and then we didn't know if it was Ansar Sharia, Al-Qaeda, and the Maghreb, or 17th February, that was actually starting to mill around the compound so every few seconds you had to look behind your back because there's it's an eight acre compound and now you just got people everywhere and you don't know who your friend or foe yeah, is i was about and to say you got counterattacked when you're trying it, to it, trust their their uh, libyan yeah. security forces who you know when y'all whenever the american troops leave they're the ones that have to stay around and and be you know caught in uh in tribal warfare with each other so that to me those yeah. are the ones that fall away the quickest it, 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 and it's it's different there. I, I've been in Afghanistan. I had a, an awesome Kandahar security force when I was working in Kandahar, guys I could trust. We did not develop a rapport with anybody in Libya. There was not one person, not group, not one tribe that we could trust there. And we didn't trust 17th Feb. So it was it was tough. And when we did get counterattacked back on, on the consulate at around midnight, you know, at least we had a target that we could hit, and we could shoot it. We knew who were attacking us, and we were able to we were able to kill a couple of their RPG gunners, and got ourselves off of off the consulate. And then again, later that night, we were we had a, two big attacks at the annex. Um, one was uh, roughly about <clears throat> right when we got back, uh, 12:30, and the other one was around three o'clock the following morning. We ended up killing unofficially about 40 of them is what we were told, and then we were hit by mortars at, uh, at close to 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and that's what killed Ty and Glenn. So th- and this, we were also this, hit with so this attack, on the back. this attack was going on for at least seven hours, and that's where a lot of yeah. uh, people here are frustrated because clearly uh, the, somebody from Italy, could, reinforcements could have come in, and, and, and I think four hours was the timeline they were saying. Well, is that is that sound and, right? And yeah, no, that's you had the. It, it could even be shorter than that. You have a fast company of Marines that were ready to come. Um, I, I don't think politicians realize how small the community is, the military community is. I have two friends that are on that fast company in Siganella, and they have since apologized. One apologized to me in tears at a speaking event, uh, saying, "Buddy, we were trying to get there. We were jocked up, ready to go, which means they had their gear on, and they were told to stand down at midnight by their leadership." Right. And that's that's in Siganella. Um, 
we also have a Mediterranean a team in the Med, uh, Mew, a Marine Marine Mew unit in the Mediterranean Red Sea. You also had a Spectre gunship and a Special Forces team in Djibouti. And you also you did have a Special Forces team there in Tripoli, but they kept them there at the consulate in Tripoli because they wanted to make sure the consulate didn't get attacked there. Mm-hmm. There were plenty of assets everywhere. Okay. They're, they're everywhere. You, you segue into something that I, I've got to ask. You have this, it's been there, uh, you know, you have the ability to get help, and then you come home, you've been called a liar, you, you all have been called everything under the sun, uh, at least we're calling you heroes, and what what are they? What the hell are they covering up? You know, there's obviously yeah. a cover-up. Is it covering up their stupidity, or is, is there a lot more to it? They're gun-running? I, I, think, I think that's part of it. I do think there's a confidence that you got to cover up. Um, I think uh, the, now I think the State Department really, really messed things up there. Whether it was due to whether it was just strictly incompetence or whether it was some something nefarious going on there, I think it's a combination of both. Um, that being said, I've got to let Trey Gowdy and I've got to let the committee do their job to figure that one out. We've put enough breadcrumbs out there <laughs> that that they should be able to figure what's going on out for me and it's it's terrible for me i'm i'm still hemmed up by my non-disclosure thing i would i like to, and and i don't have pictures or videos or anything that i could go on and say hey, yeah this was actually what we we're doing i can't do that now, I, all i can do is let the process take its course and hopefully there are some good politicians with a lot of integrity that are willing to sacrifice possibly their careers to bring the people to justice for what was going on there and what I think it's still being covered up, but I, guys, I, I wish I could get into it more. I just, I, I can't. I'm locked in. I, yeah. granted, I can't. I, if I lost my emails or said anything, I'd be in jail right now. <laughs> um, I can't get away with it like, like Hillary and like, uh, like you know, like Speaker Boehner, and Mike Rogers, uh, you know, the former <laughs> Republican House and Subcommittee Chair. I can't get away with it and speak out publicly because I'll go to jail. Do you? Uh, but I do know that there's other things going on there. But I, I just. I've got to let the process okay. take its course. Do you, figures it out. Did you find it rather strange that Ham was relieved of duty almost immediately? Yes. Um, yeah, I did. Um, I do. Uh, and uh, I, we have a mutual friend, um, a very good mutual friend, in uh, Danny McKnight, Colonel McKnight. Uh, former, he was the commander of the, of the Ranger, uh, Task Force Ranger, Black Hawk Down. He's a very good friend of mine, and he's a friend of General Ham. And, and uh yeah, I, I, General Ham was doing the right thing. From what Danny, I was upset with General Ham uh, at first because I thought he was part of the problem. Um, come to find out that he actually was doing the right thing, and he actually was trying to get troops to us, and he actually was relieved of command. This is from a mutual friend that has told me. I've never been able to speak to General Ham directly. I've got I don't a, even know if he really supports. Me. Chris, I've got a question. So obviously, uh, y'all, you know, thirteen hours later. Yeah, the situation has yeah. uh, calmed down relatively. We've lost uh, four uh, Americans uh, at least. Um, and then this next week, next two weeks, it's right during the presidential election season, you start seeing all this stuff from the Obama administration saying that, oh, yeah. it was a spontaneous demonstration based on some obscure video. What, what's, got, what's going through your mind when you're, you hear yeah. that? <laughs> I still have a vivid picture. I remember that was the first thing I saw on TV the next uh, 24 hours after we got to Tripoli when I when I woke up in Germany. I saw that, and I honestly I I, I was upset, and I but I, I was upset, and I chuckled, and I just shook my head and you know, par for the course. <laughs> look, look, look what's happening. 
Holy cow. And, and we all got together, and, and uh, yeah, we all, the whole team that was still okay, and Mark was hospitalized because he was severely injured. Um, but the rest of us got together, and we said we wanted we, we just confirmed that none of us had been talked to. Here's the arrogance of, of I think, of, of what was going on, the arrogance of David Rhodes and, and the arrogance of, of a lot of the PR people for the administration is they didn't even bother to do their due diligence and see if there was a team on the ground. They yeah. didn't even bother. To, they just went out there and said, and this is also coming from the analyst there at the agency. This is what Mike Morell was telling them. Uh, and, and so, uh, and with the agency not even doing their due diligence and coming in and, and saying, hey, guys, what happened? Um, it was a slap in the face. Now, to me, um, it's been proven that it's, it was wrong. It's been proven that it was complete fabrication. Um, so, you know, I, I think justice has been served in that way. Mm-hmm. But people haven't really held those accountable for what for that. It's just been kind of washed the thoughts to say, hey. Yeah, we've been yeah, trying they to, they, but... They, they didn't tell the truth, but here, here's a little slap on the hand. Okay, go, go run for president. Well, I mean, yeah, Hillary Clinton, you know, infamously said, what difference does it make? So, to, for you, Chris, what difference What difference does it make if that, it was terrorists or spy? That, what For you, what... That makes... You know what? I, you know, you've you seen Trump's... I, I, I compare it to this. This is how I feel. People that are upset with Trump's comments about McCain. Now, Trump shouldn't have said that about McCain. McCain is, if you're a POW, to me, you're a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, but Trump's comments, though, saying, hey, you know, I, 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 I like people that aren't captured. Okay, that's a little jab. People are taking huge offense of it. When she says, what difference does it make, what you're saying is, what difference does it make that my friends died? What difference does it make that we were left behind? Why That, to me, is a oh, is, is hundred times worse, a hundred times more insulting than what Trump said to McCain, but McCain's but that's getting play. That's getting oh, he's getting pummeled by the left wing media right now. She went on in front of the committee and basically said, "What difference does it make that our soldiers were left behind and died, and we should just let it go?" And there should be no no blame. That is insulting to me, and it, it that makes me still to this day. I know I'm ready. It, it pisses me off to no end, and it, it will never go away. Never. Chris, with and, and I hope I hope I hope people realize that. Well, well, you're right. It has kind of de- you know people aren't talking about that. Both the well, right and the left are attacking Trump. But what Hillary Clinton testified to to me was was one of the biggest betrayals I've ever seen. That was completely insulting to the families as well. Chris, and Glenn and Ty are incredible. Those guys were those guys are the heroes of that night. They gave everything up to, to sacrifice and, and protect. American lives. That makes me angry when, when I still think about that, guys. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting a little upset. No, that, that's uh, you have every right to, and everybody should be upset. Uh, I mean, everything that that they have done, and they being whatever you want to call it, Al Qaeda, ISIS, uh, you know, yeah. and there's some yeah. other names that I call them off the air too. But <laughs> beyond that, um, there's always a message, in my opinion. What is the message and your crystal ball that came out of Benghazi and and now the situation in Chattanooga, which the administration won't address, uh, the situation yeah. at Fort Hood, which I Fort Hood I was 11B and very familiar yeah. with Fort Hood. Um, sure. Yep. Uh, but you know what what do you feel like in your gut? You were there. What's the message they were sending, and what do you think? Uh, we can expect in the future, in your opinion. Well, 
there is a lesser of two evils, and, and me being able to be involved with the overthrow of Saddam when I was in Iraq, and, and be being able to be uh, in Afghanistan with the with the upbringing of Karzai and him, and, and then the Taliban going under, and now they're coming back up, and dealing with Al-Qaeda, and, and dealing with Sadr's army. You know, I've been with, we need to realize when we go into a country that there may be a lesser of two evils. Syria's Basad is another example. We try to and I don't know if it's for political gain. I don't know if there's something, again, other things going on there that maybe we want the Muslim Brotherhood to come about. Uh, Egypt's another example. where We take out these dictators that we deem as being evil, and then we leave a vacuum of power and something much more evil comes in and takes over. ISIS is a perfect example of that. So, uh, and, and we did that. We, we, should we have left Gaddafi in there? I Probably so. I, I think we need to reevaluate when we when we're taking out um, uh, taking out dictators and realize what the ramifications when this vacuum of power is in there and people come in like ISIS or or the Al Qaeda comes into Iraq. And again, I I think Saddam. I think that was a good idea. I, I, I we should have taken him out. Assad, leave the guy alone because all we're doing is we're developing more terrorist organizations that we can't control. Yeah, it's not Libya like is a perfect example. Yeah, it's not. It's, is, is, these the people in uh, some of these countries they're not really clamoring for a Western style no. democracy. They're they're claim they're clamoring for for Islamic um, theism. They want they want the caliphate in there, and uh, unfortunately, the political arm of uh, Islam is the uh, the predominant force there. And that's that's now since we've got in there, and like Libya's a. Libya is the training ground for terrorism, for, and ISIS is cutting off Christians' heads. Cutting. What we've done is we've stirred up a hornet's nest. or what we, Actually, let's, here's a better example. We got into their house, and we messed it up completely, and then we handed them back the keys and said, hey, thanks for the party. We're leaving now. <laughs> and now, now, that, now that ISIS is, is getting big, and we're starting to see attacks over here. My, in the future, we, we've done what we need to do to mess things up. Now we're going to start seeing attacks over here unless we start tightening up our borders, unless we start realizing that there are terrorist organizations in our own United States. Um, yes, I do agree that we need to arm military people at their recruiting stations. Give, they need guns. <laughs> Give them so they can protect themselves. But we're going to start seeing more here, more of the lone wolf attacks, and then it's going to get into something big like it did in France where you actually have three or four people going there and shoot up a supermarket. Uh, but all we can do as good as the good people want to protect this country is if you're if you can keep stay armed legally, keep a gun on you. You know, if you if you're not supposed to, like in New York City, well, just stay vigilant. Make sure you're watching yourself all the time. And then we just need to become stronger, uh, a stronger country again, and and not start. We're 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 still we're kowtowing to the Islamists, not Islam, but the Islamists, and that's getting us weaker. But we can't do anything about it unless we, we really start to stand up and and start doing the right thing and bringing country back to where it was before in good values. Um, and I hate to say Libya was one of those one of those examples that may have started this roll downhill, but it was that was that was when we started on the slippery slope. And now, uh, well, to I, me, we're given uh, you know the way ISIS and Al Qaeda are able to recruit people is by showing victories, and I guess that's attractive yeah. to a certain segment of uh, uh, of Muslim 
um, apologists or, or Muslim sympathizers or, or folks that actually start believing uh, that, that the West is evil and that Islam is the, uh, the, the, the true light. And so every time they, they make uh, territorial gains or every time they uh, butcher innocents, that, that gives folks over here perhaps a green flag to, to inst- instigate some kind of terrorism here. I, it just gives them confidence is all. And, and uh, you know, the age of the kid, like the, the Tennessee Tennessee uh, shooter, you know, his age, there, that, that's, that's the age that you gotta, you got to watch out for. Uh, that's the easily, the minds aren't ready yet. They're easily manipulated. And um, if we don't start taking it seriously, which I, I just don't see that we have been over the last three, four years, and it, it, it's just going to gradually get worse and worse and, until... Either we actually stand up and, and we just shut this country down and shut off the walls and see no more people from the outside getting in, or we just completely get overrun. And and, uh, and that's a scary thought for my children. I don't want that to happen. Chris, but, um, excuse me, we only got a minute to go. Did you get a uh, cameo at least in uh, in the movie? <laughs> no. No, Michael doesn't believe in cameos, and and you know what? I I think I'll be on TV enough as the promotion goes, and I've been on TV enough for me over the last uh, last um, last year or two years. So, uh, so I'm what, good. I, what, I, I, I'm what's good. Chris? I, what's Chris? What are in your plans now? What are you going to do in the future besides promoting I, I, the movie? Actually, I'm a, I, I'm a I'm a speaker. I I, I have a, God's given me a gift that I can get up in front of people and talk and not not be nervous I, that's a great gift so I, I'm, I speak a lot Judy Wilkinson is fantastic she contact Judy people can get her you got her information she sets yep. these things up and I'm busy as heck up until next year next February and it's going to get busier when the movie comes out so I'm a, I'm a public speaker right now and I'm actually enjoying it it's very cathartic for me I, oh, I really enjoy it we hope that if uh, you get back down to God's country uh, Dahlonega and, yes. and just a little just yes. a little north of Atlanta you can come down and visit us in Atlanta Oh, definitely. I'll be I'll be up there again. I'm always in Georgia, and definitely Dahlonega. I got to get back there where I'm not in Ranger School, and I can enjoy it. Yeah, and, and you can and you can go through the museum on the on the at yes. the port up there. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> definitely, and, and, and I just I do want to get back on the base and, and sort of reminisce. Though I, I, as much as I Ranger School was awful and was hard, <laughs> I still loved it. I wouldn't. Say, I would never give it up. I, well, I, that's a memory you will never give up. Well, Chris Perano, uh, thank you uh, as always for for your service and for your heroism. We uh, on my show we like to, to have real heroes, not men who wear dresses and get called fake heroes. And uh, we look forward to promoting uh, your book and uh, the story. Thank and you. the truth will come out. Chris Perano, thank you for calling in. And uh, replay of the show will be on tonight at six p.m. And thank you, uh, Judy Wilkinson, for uh, getting us in touch with Chris Bronto. David, thank you for helping out with the uh, the interview today. We'll see you all next week on Greg's List.